Listen up, squibs. You may find this podcast to be fucking explicit. Welcome to another episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan. I'm your host, Ben. And today we are joined by the mysterious Jeff. It's been a while, Jeff. How you been? I've been good. Greetings and salutations. So uh, I think the last time we had Jeff on was like February, right? It is that February? Been a while. Like Valentine's Day? Right. Yeah. It's been some time. Um, and you know, we're just kind of like, we're kind of back, right? From from con, so the, the summer of cons, right? Yeah, I think we're starting to hit our groove and uh, move forward how we would normally. The events are kind of like over for a while. Yeah, thank God. I mean, not that they were bad, just that just that I'm happy to be back in the room, you know? It's nice to have a weekend, too, to like game, not like be, you know, out and doing other crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think I feel like we learned a lot from the con experience. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And we'll also, talk- it's nice not to be constantly playing Russian roulette with con crud. What mm. is con crud? What does that mean? You know, the, the, however, you seem to go to con and always come down with some nasty oh, flu. Oh, um, what do they they call that? Like that, the podcast I listen to call that something. I think they call it. It's sometimes it, I, I listen to some really non PC uh, podcasts. I think that they call it like loser thresh, like like gamer aids or <laughs> tournament aids that or like something a like that. Gamer aids. Yeah, I mean, it does right. Um. Yeah, no, we, we've we've been we've been pretty healthy through all of it, and that's good. But you know, uh, we're, we we stuck to the local scene, and um, you know, Gen Con is here on the horizon, and some of the bigger dogs in the uh, podcasting arena, like our friends over at uh, Wrecking Crew, are going to be heading out to um, Gen Con pretty quick here to uh, see what's new for for gaming in this upcoming year. Next week, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's coming right up. Whatever it is. Um, and I, I, for one, am pretty excited. I want to see, you know, there's this whole this whole White Wolf publishing thing started, and um, like a, like a little bit less than a year ago now, and uh, this will be their first Gen Con, and I am really stoked to see what White Wolf has to say about the future as opposed to Onyx Path. You see mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that will be quite telling. Um, so I th- so there's a lot there's a lot to look forward to with the you know news and rumors escaping. Escaping uh, Gen Con. Right on. Well, fellas, in in, in interest of our uh, uh, new format with our new, our new, more streamlined approach, why don't we go ahead and take the tiniest of breaks, and then when we come back, we will talk about what it is we've all been up to in gaming. Sweet. Sounds good. Killer. Welcome back, and uh, now let's talk about what uh, we've been up to. 
What we went up to, guys? Who wants to go first? I'll volunteer here. Um, lay, lay it on me, String Bing. What you got? Well, the last time we recorded was at Crit Hit. That's true. Uh, and that night, I was set to run Kuro. <laughs> yeah, we, we recorded, and we were all fucking punch drunk and loopy. Yeah. And then yep. you basically walked out of the room to go run Kuro. How'd that well, go? I walked out of the room and then waited for an hour and a half or something, two hours. Brutal. And then ran Kuro, because it didn't start till 11.30 p.m. That is so um, brutal. You know, I got more players than I was I was expecting. Uh, Richard, newbie, he uh, props by the way. I enjoyed gaming with you. Yeah, Rich, Richard's great, man. He was he's uh, like definitely an ally. We made it. Uh, oh yeah, man. I look forward to game with him more. Um, he uh, he hung out and uh, made passing that time a lot easier. And uh, we then uh, ran some Kuro. He was there. Warlord Amanda was there. And uh, I think his name was Todd. Was there? I I didn't know him, but it was a pleasure making his acquaintance as well. And uh, I ran uh, my Akira Ghost, Akira Japanese Ghost Story game for them. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. The, the Kuro as a game is uh, what I noticed when we played earlier was that, like, you know, it was incredibly vicious in combat. How quick, like, people would just like fall over and die. Yeah. And um, I had toned down the characters from that point. I had like the PCs. Yeah, I toned down the PCs. Ooh, really? I was like, I was like, yeah, I just. I, I didn't realize it was going to be that lethal at first, and, and I, I wanted some, like, ganger violence. I didn't want, like, wholesale slaughter. But, um, yeah, like, uh, uh, Richard, man, he was, like, on a tear with his rolls, and, uh, you know, the system has exploding D6s, and he just kept rolling sixes. And um, he ended up executing uh, <laughs> a lot of gangers. Um, so, you know, I had them get in the gang conflict, and... And uh, that was pretty fun. And uh, they, you know, it's fun because I the second time running a similar scenario and they approached it a totally different way than you guys did. Yeah, that happens, huh? Yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, rather than like go to their turf and like mess stuff up, they decided to try and sabotage their bikes and like, and like, uh, like, you know, like, uh, like put some secret tags on their bikes and stuff and, and just sort of like make them look bad on the road. Um, and, uh, that that idea went to shit real fast and turned into a. Now they were using like uh, AR um, uh, tags, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, they were they were AR tagging the bikes. Which which when you were running that game was the same weekend that Pokemon Go was like blowing up everywhere, right? Yeah, I know it's kind of crazy how like AR just sort of on the on everybody's mind at that point. Yeah. Um, it seemed like a weird idea, kind of, when you ran it for us a couple months ago. I was like, oh, there's this mechanic with this AR thing. I, I don't know. How's that going to work? And then, seriously, within a, within a couple months, AR just became this standard thing that everybody in America knows about and their kids interact with on a daily basis. Maybe they interact with on a daily basis. And, and from now on, whenever you introduce it to a cyberpunk game, everybody will know immediately what the fuck it is you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I had I had made all these plans where I was going to, like, you know, describe a little bit more AR, like what was going on. Like I wanted like to, to describe some scenes about people who were like riding through, like riding through the streets and having like being bombarded by AR. And they <laughs> yeah. were, like, but you know, being the, the night being what it was and the time being what it was, I just sort of like had to let some of that go <laughs> <laughs> and focus more on like um, telling sort of a more action oriented story in which like, you know, everybody stayed awake and um, that worked fine. Um, it's interesting how con gaming is a little bit different than uh, regular gaming, right? But we'll get to yeah. that in the main section. But that definitely is a thing, is it not? Yeah, it totally is a thing. Um, 
yeah, so they they had their like they finally ended up having like some confrontations. They made multiple confrontations because they didn't like have a decisive one um, among like what, what you guys had, and uh, until the very end, and um, that one was even more lethal, which they basically like m- like murdered a whole bunch of like hangers, <laughs> um, and uh, from there it turned into the ghost story that I wanted, uh, and and it was kind of cool too because you know. I, I enjoyed telling the ghost story in the sense because when, basically when, when it happened, the rest of the character, I mean, the characters just like basically freaked out and left. They were like, we're out of here, <laughs> like right away, which yeah. I was, was kind of happy with because it was sort of an intro and I was like, we could do more, but but I mean, I'd be fucking freaked out too and I'd run the fuck away. Yeah. Were you able to get them deeper into the ghost story than your first run through? Oh yeah, we didn't even touch it in my first run through. Uh, but here, um, they had to complete a task that required them to sort of like be in the vicinity of the ghost, and um, they were able to mostly complete the task, partially complete it, uh, out of like a desire to flee from the ghost. Now, this is kind of interesting. This, are, are we, can we do a little segue here? Sure. Into some of the stuff I've been doing. Yeah, I, go I, go for it. I we're gonna skip ahead because I think it's like apropos. But I was talking to Jim Miller this last weekend. He and I—he's the guy who ran—he—he he, he threw crit hit. And then this last weekend, he and I ran into each other at uh, Imperial Outpost Games in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Darren Johnson's store for this really great event that he was running uh, called Gamer Garage Sales. So there were no tables available for playing. I mean, uh, Imperial Outpost has a huge, huge playing area. So there's always a lot of miniatures going on down there. Um, but there was none, none this weekend or none on Saturday anyway, because he had rented out all the tables to just individual private sellers who were just selling their role-playing books and their miniatures and crap. Right. And so Jim and I went out there to sort of like sift through the detritus of other people's like role-playing cast-offs. Cause I mean, you guys know how this is, this is this yeah. hobby. You stack all this shit up around you you collect and you kind of hoard all this stuff, and then eventually, at some point, you you you, you freak out and you you're like, I am never gonna run this game. I just get the fuck out of my house, right? <laughs> Usually, it's when a girlfriend starts giving you crap about you've got those books on the shelf that you haven't used in years. Well, there, there, I definitely ran into a girlfriend of of a guy I know I've known for a while uh, up at the store, and she was <laughs> she was basically saying just that thing to him. Um, but so Jim and I were up there. We were also going to play a little bit of Wild in the Streets miniatures game, and we were kind of like looking for a table. And it was, there was no tables to be had. Eventually, one cleared up, and we did get a get in a game of that. That was super fun, by the way. Right on. And cool. he and I went out to lunch. We were talking about uh, he was he was on me about Powered by the Apocalypse. Now, if you guys know Jim, you know that it's his thing, right? Where he's just like super into Powered by the Apocalypse. Sure, and, I played Dungeon Rule with him. I think. Yeah. Uh, and he and he would freak out. I imagine somewhere on the on in the in the internet verse, he's listening to this right now, and he's and he's listening to your story of the players like not wanting to interact with the ghost story, like resisting the ghost story because it's in the it's in the it's in the the the, the, the character's best interests to avoid the ghost story, right? Mm-hmm. And he's and he's like and he's thinking he's probably yelling at the at the radio right now, being like, "Oh, you need to do powered by the apocalypse from now on." So so he 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 he, he hit me with this 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 big pitch. For Urban Shadows, okay, right. We're sitting a, a game that that you own, and we have get to play. Yeah, I own it, <laughs> and he he didn't have it either. He was running Monster Hearts, which is also kind of like a supernatural horror kind of yeah. thing, but with a little different twist on it. More more like sex and relationships, a little less intrigue and violence, I think. Yeah, 
And um, after talking to him about it for maybe like half an hour, an hour, I just decided, okay, I got to give this fucking Powered by the Apocalypse thing a try. So I came home and I've been reading uh, Urban Shadows like crazy. And I'm telling you, dude, the way that that game works is that this problem that we have and that you've had and that I've had and that Adam's had and I know Jeff's had, where you spend all this time running a session and then you put it in front of the players and they go, no. Or they just miss it. There's, there's, they're just like, they're like, oh, I don't get it, I don't get it. You know, it doesn't happen in these apocalypse games. The way that apocalypse runs, it's not possible for it to happen, because the story seeds are like generated by the players and by the characters' sure. actions. Sure, sure. So, so the, so the action's always moving forward. It's just always moving forward, and that entire frustration about, like, oh well, fuck, there goes, there goes two hours of prep. Mm-hmm. It's gone. See, I wasn't necessarily too worried about that. Like, I, I, as I was running it, I, I sort of, this was going to be the last scene pretty much anyway, and I didn't know which way the characters were going to go. Sure. And so I was, I was actually kind of happy that they chose to run away. I mean, <laughs> You're like I'm going to go home. No, no, sleep. it wasn't about that. I mean, I thought it was pretty honest, and like I felt like, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like mechanics driven. It wasn't like it was like fuck this ghost shit. We're out of here. Yeah. You know. And I was like, that's cool. I like that. That's a good story. Sure. And then, and then, you know, if in the future we ever come back to this kind of stuff, we can explore it some more. You know. Yeah, and that is the sad part of the con game where I ran a couple games at uh, Crit Hit, and there were after both of them, I, I thought to myself, man, I wish there was gonna be session two so that I could see what happens with with these group with these groups and these characters. But I mean, so. You should look at that Powered by the Apocalypse stuff. Oh, I have been. I mean, here's the thing. I've been looking at, like, Cyberpunk games specifically in Powered by the Apocalypse. I supported the Veil. I was going, like, literally last week I was on DriveThruRPG attempting to purchase the new POD, the Sprawl. Uh, but I, that's like what two powered by the apocalypse cyberpunk games. Yeah, yeah. I've already, I've already, I supported the Veil Kickstarter, and had I, had I, had I been supporting Kickstarters when the Sprawl had been up, I would have supported that one too, because um, you know I enjoy cyberpunk and and apocalypse engine stuff seems pretty good. Yeah. So um, I was like, well, let's do it. I, I'm definitely down with trying it. I mean, that's one of one of the things I'd love to do is just the thing about the about the powered by apocalypse. I think is really cool is that like it seems to me like you can. Just get down with a couple friends. You can be like, hey, you know what? We don't have anything to do on Saturday. Yeah. Let's just go do a quick story, a quick game. And yeah. you can make it happen really easily with, like, very little prep. You can, like... Well, that's the, what's interesting about it, and, and, and Jim and I were talking about this, is that the prep isn't wasted. There's no such thing as bad prep. Yeah. Because you sit there, and you can spend all the same amount of time that you spent writing a specific story with a specific outline, and you... Adam and I talk about this all the time on Shadow Sworn about how you get into characters' backstories and you, you research time periods and nations and historical epochs and stuff, and then the players encounter an NPC that you spend all this fucking time on. Like, and fuck they, that guy. And, they, they, and they, 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 they make a snap judgment about him in two seconds. They never ask him any questions. They never explore his backstory and this kind of crap. I didn't want to talk, talk to Lord Lavender shirt wearing poopy pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Why would I talk to him? Fuck that guy. So... That that work is wasted if you have a very strict outline of what's supposed to happen in the game. But if it's just all knowledge that's in your head, it's it's a bunch of headcanon and notes that you've written about the the design of the world, then it's never wasted because any because anytime the player says something like, "Oh, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that," then you're you're like ready to like to spin that knowledge 
yeah. into something new. So I went online and I found a Vampire the Masquerade hack for Urban Shadows. So that because Urban Shadows, the way it works is it's kind of I don't know how how I feel about just the solid the the, the straight up book because it has all these it has all these World of Darkness type monsters and they all live in the city together. And one of the rules that explicitly states is no one can take the same monster. So it's like somebody plays a vampire, and somebody plays a werewolf, and somebody plays a demon, and somebody plays a wizard, right? And to me, that's a little bit too much kind of like Laurel K. Hamilton, like paranormal investigations, and like we're all chumming around it's, kind of stuff. a British TV show that we made where they oh, like... being human? Yeah, being human. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit too much of that. I don't know how I feel about that. There's this part of me that's like, maybe I should, could run it straight just to see how it works. No, that sounds, that sounds awful. I have my misgivings about it, too. I think but it could be good. It, it, look, it, it is what anything is. I mean, you can make a great story out of a lot of different things, and I think it could be cool. I like the focus of, of, of only a select group of supernaturals. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I, I reject the idea of it becoming like Angel. Do you guys remember Angel, how bad that was? Just Oh, yes, TV I do. Show? No, I'm so successful you've repressed those memories. Well, you know, don't, don't re-explore them because, I mean, I think that, that I think that's pretty heavily based on that. Remember, there was like the demon that had the club and, you know, Angel was a vampire. And every couple weeks there'd be some new fucking thing just hanging oh, out in right. L.A. There was like the karaoke scenes in the freaking club. Yeah, that was yeah. It was very silly. And I just wouldn't want to do anything like that. You know me. I still, I'm still married to my horror. Um, so I found this hack that would let you do Masquerade, Urban Shadows. So it'd be very quick, very easy to just do something. Jim said he's down. He said his girlfriend's down. I'm thinking maybe someday we could give it a shot. What do you think? That sounds like a blast. Sounds interesting. I'm not super familiar with the Apocalypse Engine. I, I may have to check it out, see what it is. But the system's super simple. It's like unbelievably simple. The whole idea is that like there's you, you can just slow away all the systemic crap and just focus on doing, 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 doing. Just only doing stuff. No, no consulting the the Oracle. You know, you have to. You're just doing, always doing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a narrative base. So you're just telling a narrative, and you're describing what it is you're doing, and you're rolling dice to see like if that happens, or if it happens with a modified version, or if uh, right. you you know something else happens entirely. So, I don't I know. Think so I might have to check it out. Yeah, take I mean take a look at it. It's out there. There's a bunch of different games for it. Um, I have a bunch of different. I have I, I only have Urban Shadows right now, but I have Second Edition Apocalypse World coming, and he's yep. got Dungeon World. I have I have Dungeon World. And I have Second Edition po- po- uh, Apocalypse World coming. Um, I should be getting the sprawl soon and the veil at some point when that comes out. I think Urban Shadows is pretty cheap. I think it's only like twenty bucks. Like, yeah, I was this close to buying Urban Shadows when I was buying the sprawl. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that that's going on. I don't know quite how smitten I am with it, but we will see. I, I think I, I think when we actually the rubber hits the road, we'll see whether I'm smitten with it or not. You 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 got anything else going on? Well, I was going to mention the fact that I played one more game that weekend, too, after we last recorded, and that was... Oh. I played two more games, actually. I wanted to talk about them briefly. Um, a Dirty World, which... Oh, right. You played in that, that kind of catastrophic Dirty World session. Yeah. I mean, I forget the... That, that, I apologize. That's a, that's I a, that's the, a better anecdote for when we talk about the con, though. Let's the, let's save that one. Okay. All right. And and I will say... Uh, let me just say that... the that, 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 uh, that game system is really interesting, and um, I I would look forward to playing more games in that game system. Um, also, uh, I tried uh, Fall, Fall of Magic, Magic, which is a total narrative game based around like a 
like a, a map that some hippie in Oregon put together. It's really visually appealing. It's, it's like really a scroll. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a like scroll. A, it's a Un- big scroll. Yeah, it's basically a map, and it unfolds and asks you prompts and questions. And the story unfolds as you like answer them essentially and move forward. Uh, cooperative narrative game. There's no storyteller. Um, it was a blast. I want that game bad. I want that game real bad. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. I, w- I want that to add to my um, collection of games about magic and consequence collection, which I am I'm currently working on. I've got a lot of those stacking up. Right on. Yeah, because well, they've never written any of those games. They've written, <laughs> they've written too fucking many of them. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting a pretty healthy collection of them. Pretty healthy collection. Of them. What are you about to, Jeff? What you got? Uh, you know, uh, with work, I really haven't had much time to be gaming recently. Boom. Gets, gets to pay my bills. Yeah. There's always that. Um, I hear that. I've been playing, when I haven't gaming, I've been doing some Shadows of Brimstone, uh, which having a lot of fun with that system. Can't re- refresh our listeners' memory as to what Shadows of Brimstone is. And you, you it d- deserves introduction that you are the most enthusiastic Shadows of Brimstone player I have ever encountered. So Shadows of Brimstone is the newest offering from Flying Frog Games. It's heavily like you can really see that it kind of links back to the old uh deadlands kind of feel to it you're hunting for this substance that it's not ghost rock they call it uh brimstone which is or uh darkstone 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 which is sort of spiritually radioactive as well as actually being sort of radioactive it slowly corrupts you and mutates you over time if you carry too much of it. And you have to go down into these mines and fight all sorts of monsters. And in the mines, you can find gateways to other worlds. Right now, there's three other worlds. There's a ice-bound world called the Targa Plateau, a uh, steaming jungle called the Swamps of Dragano, and then basically hell called the Cavern of Sindar. And it's uh, the, the game is really cool. It uses very much the stereotypical characters that you would find in like every spaghetti western movie so that's a lot of fun to play those tropes and the kind of really neat thing they've done with it is that you get the base set and there's all these expansions and all these expansion enemy packs that come out every so month or so that can kind of expand your game or not if you don't want to use them nice nice Um, what have you been doing with it i've got uh a running campaign right now that's got uh, four regular players and we have about another four players that kind of swap in and out and the, the system scales real well so if you miss a couple sessions you're not that heavily penalized by being that far behind everybody else and you can catch up pretty quickly because as the party gets higher in level the monsters get nastier but they're not that they're not super super deadly they're not going to one hit kill you as a lower level character but you get a couple hits in on them you can rack up some good XP to uh level yourself up and catch back up to the party. Have they come out with the alternate miniatures for that yet? No. The, you, okay. If you want to, right now you could buy them off the Flying Frog website. Okay. Uh, the, the sort of the preview sculpts. I'm waiting for them just to put out a box set with, that has them all. Yeah, that was one of the things I, I felt was disappointing. Like if you wanted to play the, the Piano Man or whatever, then you, you didn't have a model represent yourself. You had to use like the Saloon Girl or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it kind of made sense just for for cost and and those that those starter boxes were when you open it up, it's packed to the gills. So yeah, I, I think that was kind of part of it. Also, is just room in the starter box. Sure. 
Oh, I mean, that makes sense. I think people are pretty picky about what they get for for board games now, but that's because we live in this era of just unbelievable bounty. You know, I mean, the games that come out nowadays are are like things that you used to describe in, in a phantasmagorical way before. I mean, you just get hundreds of models, tons of tokens and chits. I know that you're really into this. You really love the tactile experience of board gaming. Am I right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got I've got my shadows stuff. Basically, all the map tiles still in their original boxes, but then all the the tokens and all that stuff. I've got it all separated out in fishing tackle boxes to make it easier instead of having to constantly like dig through the bottom of the box hunting for. Oh yeah, for tokens. Oh god, that would be nightmarish if you had to do that. It would just that game would grind to a halt. Yeah, <laughs> it's already yeah. very work intensive, but it would grind to a halt if you had to dig for that stuff. I mean, you really could almost have one person as a dedicated game master when playing that game. You don't yeah. have to the game the person, but it it would not be that hard to do. Yeah, no, I I could see it. I could see it. Um, well, I've been doing a little bit of writing also, working ooh. on a. A couple campaigns, but what nah, this is news new. to me, new Mr. Jeff. Tell me more. Well, I've been, I, I feel like we're getting back behind the screen. Nice, I, that is awesome to hear, dude. Yeah, but I'm not liking anything I'm writing right now. I've, I've been oh. working on, uh, I, I'm gonna go back, whatever I run is probably gonna be set in the uh, Fantasy Flight games, Warhammer 40,000 setting that they're doing for with all the different interlocking titles yeah. so like dark heresy rogue trader death watch exactly there was chaos only war only war and i've actually been trying to write something for only war i want to go away from the dark heresy i've been running mm-hmm. but everything i write for only war feels like i'm just rewriting you know a vietnam movie that was out or a world war ii movie that could but, be kind of cool yeah isn't that the the point i don't know it feels to me like then the, the if, if the players have seen the movie, there's no surprises. Well, I mean, you don't have to just do it scene for scene, but if you if it if it if you're feeling that that sense, that zeitgeist, I mean, that seems like half the fun of Only War. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, everything I've written just feels way too derivative of either either it comes out feeling like okay, I'm just going to have you guys react, Saving Private Ryan or uh, um, Full Metal Jacket. Or it turns into some horrible take on the Predator with like a lone lictor stalking the squad of soldiers and slowly picking them off one by one. See, like, yeah, I could say that. not even the Predator, though. I mean, you can even imagine that as like a as like a take on like a Vietnam movie even in itself. Right. Like like the uh, the characters are like in the jungle and the shit. Yeah. They're, they're like a fucking squad. And uh, the enemy, you know, comes at random times, just like the VC. You know, you never know when the hell is going to show up. But, but I was going to say that there are some great, like, there's, there's in, in some of those Vietnam movies. There's particularly like great, great, like, um, I don't know, pathos or whatever. That's not even like there's nothing to do with like the conflict itself in a, in in a very sort of well, I mean, it does, but not in like a direct sense. With like you know how like how like natives interact with the soldiers and and there's like a lot of great stuff to be like plumbed there that could be really oh yeah great. totally I mean I I think that that's why only war is the only one of those games that's ever really appealed to me in a certain sense like I almost just bought a whole collection of only war mm-hmm. just because the idea of running a very that that whole idea of running a unit 
you know, like from a from a, a war movie. And there's been so many. The World War Two ones, like the, the I mean, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but like I I, I think what, I agree with what you're saying that the the conflict doesn't all have to be external. Like yeah. The internal conflict of oh, what's yeah. going on with the characters is really what makes those those stories so compelling. No, absolutely. But I, I don't. I just feel like everything I'm writing right now is just super derivative. I'm just not happy with with the level of it. I don't feel like there's enough originality to it. Yeah, well, you'll get there. You'll get there. It's first draft, right? I mean, yeah. uh, that that type of shit yeah. always happens. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, right? No doubt. I've uh, I've, I've been uh, you know that was that was me a couple of months ago where I was just like writing some first drafts and I was like, Ugh. yeah. Or you know, yeah. if, I, if I write Tyranids as the enemy, it just feels like I'm rewriting uh, Starship Troopers. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Once again, though, is that, is that the is that the enemy you want? What is it you see when you close your eyes and you think about this thing? Oh, I mean, that's the problem. It's like I'm looking at the different enemies, and it's like. If I write if I write Tyranids, it feels like I'm just rewriting Starship Troopers. Orcs, I'm just not. I just don't like any of what I've written with the orcs yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of working on a neat, low level, much lower level campaign. That instead of being full blown Imperial Guardsmen, the players are basically planetary defense forces, uh, or guardsmen possibly on leave. And the planet gets attacked by Dark Eldar slave raiders. That could be fun. And sort of just that running constant urban combat of just like trying to survive another day and hope that somewhere out there someone is getting the distress call or that you can just, you and your squad can survive long enough that the slave raiding ends. Yeah, I I also think that you can do other things too where it's not just like you versus Xenos. Could be like you versus you in a lot of ways, right? Like, um like an insurrection on a planet that could be pretty sweet um i, I kind of want to stay away from that just my last big story arc i did in my dark heresy campaign was a chaos corruption battle for a planet kind of storyline mm-hmm. so i just don't i i kind of feel like i've explored that as much as i and i i want to try and write something new that's not that same kind of theme well, sure one of the things i think that's interesting about only war as opposed to some of those other games is that you have characters that are going to have a much more baseline, understandable mentality than with, say, for instance, something like Dark Heresy, where you're playing essentially religious zealots. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, like these guys have the possibility of being almost like normal dudes, only out in space. And I've always thought that the idea of characters that are being sent out to do something that they don't understand and that they might not necessarily want to do and then they're far from central command, so they have to start kind of thinking on their own. It provides a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah, you know, like are yeah. we gonna? Oh, there's these. We get out there, and there's these these Eldar dudes, and these fucking Eldar dudes kind of want to like, you know, parlay with us. Like, are we gonna do it? You know, it's like the aliens mentality, right? Like the yeah. Colonial Marines are far from home. They exactly. Don't, they don't really give a fuck. They're like, yeah, Charge, how the hell do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? Yeah, you know? yeah, like, like, yeah. Like, what yeah. the hell are we doing here? They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're not like the smartest guys no. in terms of being. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not super educated, and and they don't necessarily like have the ideals that somebody who's a much higher echelon character is going to have. They're not, they're not as dedicated, you know. I mean, that kind of pops up in the Dark Heresy too, especially if you're playing like a more manipulative inquisitor is the inquisitor for the group where a lot of members of the group may be very low level 
just normal imperial citizens that have basically been co-opted into the Inquisition completely against their will, either through the unfortunateness of witnessing something they shouldn't have, or just because they had a skill set the Inquisitor needed at the time. Yeah, but they always had, like, I always feel like in Dark Heresy, at least anyway, my, my, my interpretation was always that they sort of had to goose step or else, you know, like, like it's sort of, you had to sort of, if you weren't a religious zealot, then you had to fake it. Yeah, because if you didn't fake it, then, well, that could create some problems. I think that really depends on the Inquisitor, whether the Inquisitor is a monodominant or a radical Inquisitor. Um, a radical Inquisitor is going to be far less caring about the whether the Imperial Creed is followed. I think it's just difficult to run some of those 40K RPGs because if you came to those RPGs via the tabletop game, then what you probably understand about the lore of that universe is based so heavily on these narrators that are so authoritarian and obviously committed to this idea. And you might get the idea that everybody feels that way, but then you tell the players, oh no, you're kind of like a regular guy, but you live in this world. Whereas if you're doing only war, everybody's seen a bunch of war movies. Everybody knows what it's like to, mm. to, to, to see a character who's kind of a scrubby dude and he's forced to fight in a war he doesn't necessarily care for or understand. I think, I think yeah, I agree. I think the most difficult one to write for, and which I haven't even tried, would be Death Watch, where oh, God. You're, you're playing so space focused. marines. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so focused. And how, yeah. how the character is supposed to crawl inside the head of a genetically engineered super soldier who exists for one purpose and one purpose only. I just, just watched the uh, 300 many times. And just really key in on the the homoerotic nature of it, and I think you're pretty much there. Or I guess you could maybe rewatch uh, Universal Soldier. Soldier was exactly what I was oh, thinking. I was God. like, <laughs> one, two, three, four, get, five, did, and six. Did so. You haven't seen, you haven't read any of the Black Library books, have you? No. Well, that's the dude, dude. The, the those guys are not robotic like the Universal Soldier characters are. They are they're they, they're fully functioning people with like. Uh, their own thoughts in their heads and their own personalities, and they but they have this extremely s- Spartan kind of value code where they, they they say some very off-putting things to one another. There's some stuff that like if a dude walked up to me into a wa- locker room and put his hand on my shoulder and said this stuff to me, I'd be like, "Hang on a second, <laughs> hang on a second. I think you're getting the wrong idea about me, pal. I mean, it's fine, it's fine. There's not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're just barking up the wrong tree." Your chest is really glistening today. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> um, so, what have I been up to? Shit. All right, went out to Gamer uh, uh, IO Imperial Outpost for the Gamer Garage sale. That was fucking great. I got so many fucking books at so cheap. You guys have no fucking idea. I got one of these. I picked up one of these. One of these games about magic and consequence. I'm always talking about. I got uh, uh, Nephilim by Chaosium. Picked that you know, up. Believe it or not, cheap. I had been looking at that again because that was one of those games that I had oh. always like wanted to try and never had. Son, why weren't you out there, homie? There was so much shit. I I, I was playing Magic because it was the pre-release. Oh, okay. God, that takes me back. That's like what 95, 96. I, I, dude, that I think that book might be older than that. I don't know if it, if the particular edition yeah. I bought is may, might even be from the eighties. I can't. I can't. It might even the eighties, late eighties, maybe. Let's say. 
I got a game or, called. No, uh, I wanted to play Metal Gear. I was actually just down for the count, ill, but that's a different story entirely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I got a game called Cold Steel Rain. It's a uh, cowboy game. It's a supernatural cowboy game that I don't uh, think I've ever seen that actually. Well, apparently it was like a really limited release. My buddy uh, Jamie at Calcium Rex out in the UK, he uh, put me onto it. He said it's a really great game. Apparently, it was funded somehow in the early 2000s via a sort of proto Kickstarter or in a Kickstarter type way. And then the the homie that made it never managed to produce a game master's supplement for it, which had been promised. He you know, he ran out of he ran out of money before he before he got the book out, and so you really only have half a game. And it's my understanding that to run this thing, you definitely have to put a bit of uh, elbow grease into it yourself. So you know, Jamie, he's a big narrative play kind of guy. He's he's very much on our wavelength like that, and he'd recommend the game to me. I picked it up seriously th- for a dollar. I got it for a nice. dollar at this nice. guy's bin. I get it home and I open it up and this thing is seriously it's like two or three hundred pages and it's just rules it's just all rules remember when John Wick was in here and he was telling us like that the, the Shane Hensley had held a game up and was like this is an indie game and this is how thick it is it's all rules and then this is Savage Worlds and I'm supposed to be a mainstream game I was like, there's this part of me that wonders if Cold Cold Steel Rain wasn't that game <laughs> because it's because it, it, it is seriously it's just all rules it's huh. just all fucking rules wow. so I mean it's kind of cool for the the collection you know to just have this really bizarro game over there that I'll probably never do anything with but I mean I spent two bucks on it because I got the Game Master screen was there the guy's like yeah you know, I got the game master screen. And the player's got. He still owes me the 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 game master book if it ever if it ever comes out. But I'm never gonna get it. Uh, what else did I get? I got a bunch of Age of Sigmar stuff because it was really cheap. But I'm not gonna bore everybody with my stories of Age of Sigmar. We'll save that for another time. I know you bought me a couple books. You bought me some cyberpunk books. I was missing. oh yeah, I got you that Rocker Boy book and then Ecofront, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And then um, I guess the other thing I have coming up here is this. Uh, I'm supposed to be running Lamentations of the Flame Princess for some people at work, which should be kind of interesting. I got the, got this this crew of this crew of girls at work that I, w- want to learn how to role play. I know so. that the uh, the warlord Amanda talked about miking that up and oh yeah, like wanting wanting a window into that. I I no, no, she's gonna play. She's Amanda's gonna play, gonna but like play. providing window for other people. And I, I must admit, I, I am intrigued knowing all the people as I do. Yeah. I would, I would enjoy having a window into that. Well, we'll see if this thing even goes off because we were supposed True. to play this last week, and then they all kind of had reasons that they weren't around, and so we'll see if it even goes off. Uh, it, it's interesting. None of them have played before. They were all like, "Oh, teach me Dungeons and Dragons. You play Dungeons and Dragons." So it's not my idea. I was not going around beating the bushes at work trying to find new well, players. Well, got Jess had gotten interested in it kind of because... What was that? You got volunteered for this? Well, I was approached by one of the girl's boyfriend, and he was like, hey, I heard you do D&D. I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes, hey, you, would you ever run that for us? Because I guess he had had, he had played one time. And then he moved out to Phoenix, and then he had met a dude who had said, like, oh, yeah, I'll run it for you guys. And then that guy flaked out and vanished. And I was like, yeah, for sure. You know, and then um, people started hearing about it, and they all kind of, like, jumped in. So now I think we're going to have this game that's going to have, like, six players or seven players or something. And I think, I think aside from me and then the boyfriend, it's going to be all girls, which is going to be kind of interesting. Like, uh, it's, it's, I find it interesting, too, because – People are sort of approaching it from different areas because we had gotten that box set for uh, oh yeah for that's true. Uh, Jess's 
longtime boyfriend's son or whatever for his uh, birthday for yeah. his birthday yeah uh the D like intro fifth edition box set right um and uh i guess she was intrigued enough that she wants to try it yeah she's been talking about it a lot so i mean we'll see this i mean i didn't want to do D because i didn't want to I remember when we started this podcast, I was very up on five. I was like, yeah, fucking five. Like, it's fucking great. And now I'm just, after I've done so much OSR stuff, and I'm just so into OSR and how simple it is and how easy it is, I don't want to fucking fuck around with a bunch of five. Well, so, you mean after twisting everybody's arms to go out and buy fifth edition Oh, D&D come on, Mike. You'll use it. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, it's not like I'm like itching to burn it like I was fourth edition or anything. Yeah, you know I know. It's still a really good game. And look, I still collect it. I have every single book that's out. It's not <laughs> a bad game. I collect the shit out of it. But but right now, Lamentations is just such an easy game to run. You can put together Lamentations character in like 15 minutes. No, I, th- I think that's a great game to, for, to start a bunch of role players on. And yeah. Somebody, when they're coming in completely cold. I think that's a fantastic game. Right. It's like, a, because it's so OS... I mean, we all got in on OSR stuff, where it's just really easy. Yeah, that that actually... Yeah, no, that's totally true. And, I mean, and these are not these are not video gamers. So, I mean, when, when we were teaching Heather how to play, she had played video games before, so she understood the idea. Most, most of these video games just are, are lifted right out of D&D with the stat lines and everything. So she already had a concept of how to do all of that, and these people don't even play the video games. So I'm going to have to sit down and explain to them, like, okay, there's a strength, and then there's a dexterity attribute, and, and then there's, you're going to have saves, and you're going to have, you know, these are numeric representations of your ability to resist magic old death. You know I mean? These are all conversations I'm going to have to have. So I want to just keep it real simple to start with. But so, I mean, we're supposed to meet up this Sunday, this upcoming Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know if this thing goes off or what. You know, we'll I'm, I'm curious to hear how this experiment works. I, I think it'll be, I guess, a chance to do some really cool, it'll be a chance for you to do some really cool gemming and uh, always have that fun of bringing wholly new people into yeah. the. Yeah. If, 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 if I make, if I, if I convert like one person here to like being like a, like a real deal gamer, then I'll, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. Right on. I, I wanted to mention really fast, too, since we started on that little OSR bent uh, about our childhoods and OSR games. I'm actually reconnecting with one of my childhood OSR games. I have been uh, purchasing. I just purchased oh, yeah. a first edition box set for Stormbringer on the interwebs. And um, I have also just purchased the Hawkmoon box set for uh, uh, for that game. Um I think I, I as as I as I left day, I think they had both come. They're sitting oh, wow. on my table. Wow. Um I'm gonna go home and tear those open like a little happy kid and uh, you know, start looking at the stuff from my childhood that I loved. And uh, at some point, fools, at some point I mean we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff Dude, on the pipe. Yeah, the deck like, is we getting already talked cool. about like about like I wanna I wanna run a certain game coming up at the end of August, beginning of September. We're gonna start in the beginning of September, I believe. Yeah, but at some point, maybe it's three months down the line. Whatever, I'm running some Hawkmoon. Nice, cool nice. play. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not God, the, I, I haven't even thought of that, that game in like oh, two decades. Man. It's gonna be, it's gonna be rad. It's, it's gonna be rad. That game is always on my mind. It's based on that one Quorum game that we ran the <laughs> one session of in my apartment early days of college a million years ago, and how fucking weird it was. Yeah, um, it, it's great too because Hawkmoon is one of those. I think Hawkmoon will be readily like, in a lot of ways, be readily like um, uh, available for people who are a lot of really familiar with a lot of GW stuff. I think like a lot of the GW stuff is sort of based on a lot of the Elric stuff anyway. 
and oh, um, yeah. like yeah, the, heavily. The, undying, <laughs> oh, yeah. the undead emperor in the throne is like a total like like lift from Hawkmoon. So it should be blast. It should be blast. Indeed, indeed. All right, so let's take another little break, and then when we come back, we will discuss new shit that's coming out. <laughs> And now we're going to do a little segment where we talk about the new stuff that's coming out. Who's following what here? What are you, you, know, what are you guys following? Well, um, I know that... I'll just put a little magic plug in there first. Uh, Eldritch Moon just released, which has a role-playing correlation in and of itself because uh, Wansi's been doing this thing where they've been releasing settings of their worlds for D&D 5 on the web. Digitally and only. Digitally only. Uh, and so Eldritch Moon is the second set and the newest release for um, the Innistrad Gothic Horror uh, uh, set. And uh, they had just, I think like a month or two before this set dropped, dropped a setting book for uh, Innistrad. Interesting. Which is pretty cool. I haven't actually investigated it, but um, if there was a world that I wanted to role play in, I think that uh, for, for Magic... Uh, most recently, I think that Innistrad is a great choice. Yeah, Isn't definitely. Innistrad, like, really similar kind of to uh, Ravenloft? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's like a, it's, it's a world that's sort of, like, ruled by um, a dark power in a sense that, the, that there's, like, a planeswalker overlord kind of who's a vampire. Um, it's really cool. I don't know. Families of vampires. But they did another campaign setting, too, didn't they? Uh, Zendikar was the one they did previously, so they they had just um, they came back to Zendikar, and during that block they released a Zendikar uh, setting book, and um, or PDF or whatever, and now they've done the same with Innistrad. Now they come back to Innistrad. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting cool. stuff coming out for for D and D in the next few months. They've got that that uh, giant adventure, the is something to look forward to. But then they're doing a couple of Volos guides. Which oh, was really? something that, that I they haven't done in a million years. Yeah. So there's Volo's Guide to Monsters, I think, in November. And then there's a Volo's Guide to the Forgotten Realms, I think, coming out, which will be sort of interesting because there's more setting material. A lot, a lot of setting material. Very nice. Know, fleshing that out a little bit, which is kind of cool. I like how they've it's been a real slow burn with D&D. You know, there definitely hasn't been a lot of... I'm, I'm hungry for more supplements rather than than straining my wallet trying to get the ones that are sure that are, that are currently out sure i i uh yeah i think that they've what they're doing right now with dd5 is pretty good 
I, I will say I'm also following Kickstarter. And, of uh, course. Yes. I have yet to break away from Kickstarter. Um, I think there's two notable games right now that look pretty interesting. Um, one of which I am tempted to support, even though I'm trying not to support any more Kickstarter games. I'm just thinking, what's the game? Uh, well, I'll start with the one I'm not tempted to support right now, but I think it looks like a really professional and really, really, really it's, it's game. notable. It's worth people yeah, hearing exactly. about. Exactly. And that's all right, Unity. All right. That's Unity. Um, Unity's set in this sort of like fantasy world and like four fantasy races that like there's sort of like a, I think there was like an apocalypse kind of thing that happened and the 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 the, the, the essentially the race is split and they're like trying to get back together or something. Um, it looks the art on the Kickstarter page looks great. Um, it just doesn't seem like it has the appeal to me. Unlike the other one, mm. which I'm looking at, which is a sci-fi game called Coriolis. Yeah, you show me that one. You're 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 really feeling that one, huh? Yeah, I, it's another it's another Swedish game. Um, there's like a, a dearth of Swedish games coming over. Uh, really interesting. Um, it's by the same people who did uh, Mutant Year Zero. I think it uses the same system as Mutant Year Zero. Um, it's uh, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a futuristic sci-fi game where like. Uh, you know, ages past, Earth expanded out into distant solar systems, and sort of like uh, all of the like uh, previous expansions been lost, and you're sort of in this distant corner of a uh, wherever, um, sort of like last vestiges. And uh, I don't know, it looks really fun, looks really cool. Mm. Um, it sounds like a science fiction role playing game. Yeah, it does. I mean, it does, and that's that's what I tell myself. I'm like, eh, it's a science fiction role playing game. And then I look at the yeah. art, and I'm like, it's pretty evocative, and I kind of like it. Well, yeah, <laughs> art can, art sells books. Art sells books, man. It totally does. Uh, <laughs> you follow anything else? I guess that's all I'm really following right now. I I, yeah. I, I look at I look at Kickstarter every day. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you are you are chasing the dragon, homie. You know, you who are... never knows when the when something really sweet will pop up. You oh know? God. Yeah. I I feel you. I feel you. It, look, look, Kickstarter's turned into sort of like the easy way to bring games to life. You don't have to go through weird like like uh companies and sell it to them and no i see what you're saying it's it you can everybody and their mom can can write a game and put it up on kickstarter and what that means is there's a lot of detritus out there right yeah what that also means is that there's a lot of great ideas who may not necessarily have been funded 10 15 years ago but now can get funding no it's true it's uh, true and people can make make livings being professional game designers who couldn't do it before which is kind of interesting as well yeah uh, the last one I did was Dungeon Dealer, and I have been off since Dungeon Dealer. I do look every so often to see if there's anything I'm super missing out on, but there hasn't been. Now, I will say Beckett's Jihad Diary closed this last weekend. It closed and pretty high, too. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it did. Uh, here's a quote I want to read. It says, Beckett's Jihad Diary is the update for every single... T- uh, oh, I spilt my drink on this. Anyway, lingering plot thread of the past 20 years. What? So I will probably be buying one when it becomes a POD. Okay. Um, but that $85 leather cover th- shit, I am not spending 85 bucks on a giant, like, oh, here's what's going on in Montreal, and here's what's going on in... Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, on some level, that means that, doesn't that mean they have to address the Kindred of the East thing? 
they, which they've notably just left hanging out of the V20 stuff as though it just didn't exist. Oh, they just all died like during the Armageddon and have never been heard from again. They they said they've said that they're not they're not preparing to do a V20 or a V20 KOE thing. I'm, I'm curious if that's just based purely on the fact that those games sold really poorly or I think that's part of it. I think uh, also now that people become more sensitive about race issues that game has been derided as being one of the more sort of grotesquely racist ones, which I don't know if it necessarily deserves that. I really like that that game system still. I really like that world. Hmm. But I know that there are others who feel like that after Werewolf, which is just like the most, I mean, just pretty gross game, r- racially slash ethnically stereotyped speaking, <laughs> Koe is right on its heels. Now they did they did it do was, a Werewolf twenty. So it was the early nineties, right? A lot of those games were were sort of like gross racial stereotypes. I mean, you can find all those in the Ravnos and you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, of course, if we're going for like the king of the gross racial stereotypes for White Wolf. I don't know how you beat Kindred of the Ebon Kingdom. Well, I, I you know what, man, I haven't I haven't I haven't read that one comprehensively that was i think that didn't come out till 99 or 2000 i think that they might have gotten their shit together by then no are you sure i haven't i haven't read i it remember recently. it being pretty bad but hmm. again i haven't i haven't looked at that book in 15 plus years yeah it's been a long time on that one you what are you looking at jeff what you what, what, what you've been following what's new what's coming out what's what's out uh you know they just released these four new enemy packs for shadows of brimstone which Really excited about. It. I picked up three of them last week and uh, had the fun kind of spend some time Friday night and Saturday putting the models together and getting them ready to add to my uh, my game. Um, they've announced that the first, very first wave of the next Elseworld will be released at Gen Con. Ooh, and so well, that's exciting. Yeah, and it's a really cool setting. Um, it's called Tradara. And it's basically sort of a World War One trench warfare world. Nice. Yeah, that'd be cool, for sure. Um, they've already kind of shown some of the models that are coming out for it. They all have this really cool, like, mutant and trench coat and gas mask look. Nice. Right on. Um, so I've been kind of excited about that, and also they're the new heroes. They've got three new heroes that are supposed to be releasing in the next couple months. Uh, to give you even more options for the heroes to play in that game. Okay. So I'm excited about that. Uh, a drifter, which if you look at the artwork, is pretty much obviously based off of uh, Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name. Okay. A uh, miner, which is pretty much looks exactly like the Lost Dutchman. Can you play with you know the big bushy beard? and Yeah. And sure. then an orphan, which they really haven't told us what the orphan's going to do exactly, but it Kind of what they've hinted on, it looks pretty cool. Right on. That'll kind of maybe be able to adapt some of the skills of the other characters. Hmm. Um, well, that's something to look forward to, huh? I've been I've been kind of poking around Kickstarter a little bit myself. Oh, no. All right. No, Jeff, don't do you it. You looking at the board games? You looking at the RPGs? Board games, mostly. Don't go did, into the darkness. Did you, were you in on that Cool Mini or Not one that came up this? Uh, no. Massive Darkness or whatever? No. I had to, I had to pull oh my back my funding. God. I had to pull back my funding. I just couldn't afford it. Timing was bad. Dude, dude, Jeff, 
You can spend so much fucking money on Kickstarter. It is ridiculous, homie. Don't. Oh, I, believe me, I know. I kind of, you know, I kind of, I missed out on the Kickstarter on uh, Shadows. Okay. So I'm kind of like. Oh, see, yeah, you're feeling the sting, huh? Yeah. You want some of those LE little minis and, and, and tokens and chits and giblets and whatever, huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I've been kind of checking out this Armored Core. What's Armored Core? So it's got an interesting mechanic. It's a real-time... RTS strategy, yeah. What? Yeah, an, R- an real-time... RTS board game? Yes. What, what, what does that even mean, real-time board game? I don't exactly understand I, how it works. Yeah, I don't either. I've watched the video, and I t- they need to put up a little bit of a better video to explain this rule mechanism. I will say the miniatures for it look pretty cool. They look like the buildings and stuff, right? Yeah, they have three-dimensional buildings. You're basically mech-driving. And there's also some heavy tanks and stuff you get to play. But the buildings are 3D and have line of sight. And you actually have a laser in the base of the miniature to do your line of sight with. That sounds very technical. Yeah, it, it's, well, I think it, in a lot of ways it makes it easier because you've just got this line that's being projected down the board. Oh, it's always on? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But... I've just watching the video a couple of times. I'm not totally understanding how the mechanic works. Yeah, is it just so, like if you really have really fast hands, you just move your guys. It, it it seems like there's more to it than that, but I, I currently actually have that on my remind me um, to come up like when it's like 40 hours left to fund because um, I thought it was interesting enough, and I feel like I feel like there'll be probably more information posted by the time it hits that point. Uh, hopefully. Um, because it did look very interesting, I gotta say, and it's already got a bunch of funding. It does. Is it funded? It's funded already, I believe. Mm, I think. Yeah. I think it's. Um, it hasn't all the stretch goals or anything, but it's funded. And have they had successful Kickstarters before? No, I think this is the first one for them. Yeah. I think See, so too. you and I were looking at that uh, collapsible game table, right? Mm-hmm. The alpha table or whatever. Yeah. Because it was seemed. I mean, okay, it's like two hundred bucks for a folding table. That but turns into like a fucking suitcase or whatever. Yeah, but it turns into a six by four game table, and I was like, "Well, shit, man, that's like standard." And I'd really like to have one. You can fold it up and like play whatever games I wanted on it. Take it to my friends' houses. We're starting to build a little bit of a collection for of, of terrain here for some of our Infinity games, and I've I've got some for Age of Sigmar. I was like, "Hey, this could be kind of cool." And then I looked at they have they haven't they haven't ever done a successful Kickstarter. They've never. I mean, I don't think that they've tried to kick anything that failed. But they didn't have any successful ones either, and I'm like, shit, man, that's like 200 bucks. I'm just gonna send these guys 200 bucks, and this, and they, I might not even ever get it. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's like, phew, I don't know, man. You know, one thing I'd be worried about with something like that, I haven't seen it, but if it's a six by four table that folds up into a suitcase, that means the material well, is gonna be fairly thin. I'd be worried about it not holding up well. You know, you get one person like rest their elbows on it, and you do get a table flip. Yeah, who who rests their elbows on it? It's, it's it's a gaming table. I, I I thought it looked worthwhile. I, I'm sort of with you on, on your sort of read on that. Um, I did think it was an interesting idea, though. Oh, man, I want I want one so bad, sort of. Because I, I want a real gaming table. Like, I'm kind of, I don't know. I've been playing, a, we're getting into war, 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 war game topics. I'll just, just let that go. We'll get that look. We'll talk about that some, some other time. Uh, what have I been following? I've been following uh, Stupid Lamentations and nothing new for that. Uh, they're they're doing a, a bundle of holding right now. I think this 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 episode was supposed to come out on the third of August. I don't know if it's still gonna be going on. I hope it is. If you're into Lamentations of the Flame Princess and you like PDFs, then this thing is so fucking bomb. 
uh, for twelve ninety five. You get the core book, you get Vornheim, you get Seclusium of the Orphanae, you get Thulian Echoes, you get the Pale Lady, you get the idea from space. That's for thirteen bucks. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. To buy a hardcover book is twenty. Uh, plus, plus Vornheim. You gotta have Vornheim. I don't care what fucking game it is you run. If you run fantasy games, you gotta have Vornheim. And if you don't want to spend the scratch and get the hardcover book, then get a then get a PDF download. I have a PDF download. I have the hardcover. It that 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 book will save your fucking game. The book will save your game. Uh, and then there's an upgraded one. It's like twenty four bucks. So you get everything from the first one, and then you get uh, World of the Lost, which just came out. The Magnificent Jupe von Ooms, uh, the Cursed Chateau that just came out. Scenic Dunsmouth, which is, I mean, seriously, like you gotta own that book. You, if if you're into OSR and if you're just into, into interesting mechanics, then you gotta own Scenic Dunsmouth. It's fucking ridiculous. So I mean, those the Vornheim and Scenic Dunsmouth are, are are must owns. And if you're like, well, I don't really want to hunt them down, then again, you get get the PDFs. You gotta get the, the but these if if you if you're into this sort of thing, there's no excuse not to own those two games. Uh, you also get the Squid, the Cabal, and the Old Man. Never even heard of that one. I need to fucking find that. England Upturned, which just came out, and then Forgive Us, which is like super old. Mm. So I mean, that's twenty five bucks. You get a million books. Uh, and 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 at least two of two or three of those books are. Why don't you fucking own this already? Books. Mm. So that is a super duper worthwhile bundle of holding if you are into PDFs. I'm not a PDF homie. I am a hardcover guy. So I will, I already own a number of these, and I will own more of them soon in hardcovers. Uh, I guess bundle of holding is all charity, though, right? It's a charity deal, charity thing. I, I don't know. I, I think I think that money it. ends up going to charity. I've actually never supported one because I prefer to have hard books too. So. Yeah, but I think that's how they make this work: is that it, it's all the money goes to charity. That way, the you, is the is the trade. You're getting a bunch of material, but it's not like uh, Lamentations really losing anything. They're just kind of giving you access to information. Um, and I saw on the Lamentations page, it wasn't on the Lamentations page, it was one of my friends in Brazil, he posted a, a, uh, infographic that had all the, the, the all-time biggest bundle of holdings that have ever made money for charity or whatever, and, uh, Lamentations is getting up there. I think, it, I think it just broke, it still has, it still has a bunch of days left, and, um, it is getting ready to break the top ten, or it already broken the top ten. I haven't really followed that stuff. Uh, I the Pathfinder. I remember there was a Pathfinder one. I think well. Pathfinder was number one. The yeah. Pathfinder was number one. I don't know how you're going to get around that because you know Pathfinder is just Pathfinder. You know, I wasn't a big PDF guy, but I've started. They've started to grow on me for not games I run, but games I play in. Mm. Uh, I can like, see that liking to have the PDFs just on a tablet. It just it's so much easier going to the game and not having like to have to have this backpack full of books that I may or may not even reference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't use PDFs or tablets really enough to have that familiarity with them where you're able to scroll through things very quickly. I'm picking it up on my phone because there's a lot of war game army builders now that are showing up for your phone. And so that's making me a little bit more conversant. But so I'm still like a hard hard cover guy when it comes uh, to being at the table. But well, most of the books I've got in PDF format, you can tab and bookmark it like on yeah, the PDF. That's so, so cool. So literally, I can just open up my index and go to my bookmarks, which is the places I think are important in the book. I just don't know if White Wolf books let you do that. 
is the thing. It's it's part of the it's just part of the PDF program. Is it? Huh. Well, I mean, here's my computer literacy shows itself. Great. You know, because it, it just I'm just putting the tabs on it on my iPad as part of the the reader. Mm. I should start doing that. Have you? Do you have any of the uh, Onyx Path ones? No, everything I've got is Pathfinder, uh, Dark, uh, the Dark Heresy stuff, or a few other games I've picked up, uh, old copies of on PDF, just to have. The the White Wolf slash Onyx Path stuff is incredibly like data heavy. It's incredibly heavy. It's like so hard to open them and. To, to scroll through pages i mean they just uh, the, the, i've got the the original pathfinder book as a single pdf and is it a bitch or what it was on my old system oh okay I, I recently upgraded my system and i got a new ipad and it's much easier oh, okay okay um i guess uh the only other thing that I've, of, of of note that's coming out or that is out now i guess is that onyx path does have a, a pod and PDF version of V20 ready-made characters for Vampire 20th Anniversary Masquerade. So it's 13 characters, uh, one from each clan, and then they've got a little backstory and they're sat out for you. And I think that there's there's some progressions on them. I think, if I'm not mistaken, is the Ravnos a gypsy? I oh, dude, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so wait, are, uh, that, are these actually new characters, or are these just old Sig characters that they've redone stat lines on? These should be new characters because I think the idea is is that they are uh, f- you can play them if you want. Um, so there's not, it's not just like a bunch of, it's not going to be like Vicos or anything isn't in there. It's not, it's not a of the night kind of, uh, children of the splat book, you know? So it, a lot of people, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of guys really like books that have just stats in them so you can do stuff with it just on the fly. Uh, I'll, I might pick it up eventually. I don't know. We'll see. I'm always a fan of books like that. Just. If nothing else, if you suddenly have an NPC you need stats for, yeah, you, you can just, just grab the book and throw it on there. Bam. Done. Boom. Right? Right? You get it. Jeff gets it. All right. Well, so that's, I guess, what's coming out and um, or what is out or what's coming out. And so we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Keith, who we met at Leprechaun. And we're going to talk about... You know, how Leprechaun went, and how Crit Hit went, and just, and I think he's got a project he's working on too, so uh, I think he wants to share it with everybody, and we'll get to that when we return. Right on. Sounds good. So at this point in this recording, the show things got a little bit weird, and we started suffering from some technical difficulties with uh, recording heat. And you may notice us cutting in and out. There, there's going to be some problems. So it's not your media player, it's not your headphones, it's us. And we apologize. We think there's still a listenable interview in here. You can kind of power through with us. Be sure to stick around to the end when Keith tells an amazing story about uh, his time as a screenwriter. Anyway, without further ado, here's our interview with Keith. All right, guys, welcome back. 
for you, it's been a few short seconds, but for Ben and I, it's been a week. <laughs> Through the magic of radio, we uh, we lose the mysterious Jeff, and we are joined now by our uh, friend, Keith Shaw, who we met at Leprechaun 42. Really the highlight of Leprechaun oh, 42 for us. Dude. Uh, uh, lepre- I, yeah, I mean. <laughs> it, just <laughs> such an abysmal event. I mean, I just, I mean, I really could just go on and on, like, all day about, like, ju- I mean, I, I, I kept, okay, all right. They gave us this bag. They gave us this paper bag, right, as 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 table owners or whatever, and it was full of this like random assortment of shit, and like I, candy and snacks <laughs> and candy. Like, and I was gonna sorry uh, for being here. Here's some candy. I, yeah, it was. It was. It didn't. They didn't write anything on the paper bag. They didn't. They, there was no like card with it or anything. It was just like this paper bag, like a lunch bag. And I kept it because I wanted to go through these artifacts with you guys, but then I left it out in the kitchen. So I mean, it's like I think it has like some butterscotches in it. It had it had a random the like, peanuts gummies that I never got to have. <laughs> peanuts gummies. The, 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 yeah, the gummies were pretty good. <laughs> it had a pencil. Like it the pencil didn't say leprechaun on it or anything. It was just a pencil, and non sharpened. The avocado lemonade mix was. Pretty the, decent. The what? <laughs> it was uh, a strawberry lemonade or something like that. The powder mix you could put in with your water bottle. Oh right, right. <laughs> Which you absolutely needed because there was no cooling. In the, I mean, they, allegedly there was cooling. What was the temperature holding at? Like a nice like eighty two or something. Something like that. I think by the time we got there in the morning, it was like seventy nine, and by the end of the day, it was like eighty three or yeah. something like that. I mean, it was I mean, pretty bad. It was so miserable. The next day Heather was completely dehydrated and exhausted. She just spent the entire day laying on the couch drinking water. Well some people will pay hundreds of dollars for a couple hours in the sauna. We we got three <laughs> days for just the price of a table. <laughs> yeah, which is uh God, I don't even want to admit how much we paid for that to be there as full metal RPG. That was that was just, it was such a travesty. Anyway, so. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Dude, yeah. dude, chalking that one up to, to experience. This is where your experience points come in, kids. So a little bit of background on Keith. Uh, Keith was the vendor directly adjacent to us at Leprechaun. He had a really slick booth. His whole thing was, like, really professional. He had a little a little tablet with video on it and audio that you could listen to. And we were sitting there like a couple of like reject kids, like drawing (laughs) shit on like, on like paper, trying to get people to like come over to our table. You know, it it worked out for him. He sold infinitely more than we did. I mean, Oh my God. Cause seeing as how we sold nothing. Yeah. We sold exactly (laughs) nothing. Exactly. Zero items were sold. And in fact, I think we somehow managed to make a negative impression uh, for the podcast, <laughs> because when we would attempt to talk to people about our podcast, they would either sneer at us or they would recoil in horror because we had chick pamphlets on our table. So it was the wrong demographic. So, so Keith, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about what what is was you were doing at Leprechaun because okay. it, I thought it was really interesting. First of all, I want to thank you for letting me in the corporate headquarters. Oh, of course. Uh, I thought the strip search Swing, down right? in the... Huh? It's swank, right? Yeah, the strip search on the lobby was uncalled for. But, uh, <laughs> we go the extra mile. Yeah, we have to be careful. And, and the guard dogs. Uh, the <laughs> but we made it through. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm the publisher of ipulpfiction.com. Uh, if you search for us, you'll get a lot of stuff about Quentin Turner, Tarantino. But we have an I in front of Pulp Fiction, ipulpfiction.com. And uh, we publish some sci-fi books and... Um, probably our biggest seller is a, 
series of 10 reprints of classic pulp magazines that we have the right to. And the big thing we're doing right now is called the Pulp Preservation Project, where we're trying to preserve the literature that's in all those magazines, that's in all those plastics that are slowly deteriorating even though they're in their cardboard boxes in a cool, dark place. Um, so we have a Kickstarter going about that right now, and um, we'll see if it happens. So go, can go you tell us a little bit about the magazines that you have access to? Okay, the magazines are uh, classic pulp titles uh, from the 20s. Actually, we have stuff going back to the 1800s. Uh, the 1920s through the 1951 approximately. And we, 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 we raise in uh, all of the public domain magazines, but there's also a large number of magazines that are still under copyright. Um, and we have uh, agreements with two of the major copyright holders to uh, digitize their collections and put them on the web also. I mean, these magazines are now defunct, right? So who, who, act, who actually owns the copyrights to these things? Uh, some of it's murky. <laughs> uh, I imagine. Uh, but the ones that are under copyright are very clear, and two of the major holders are uh, Steger Properties, that owns like 30 to 40 different imprints, including Black Mask Magazine, um, Super Science Stories, uh, 15 Westerns, uh, every sort of imaginable imprint, uh, every sort of genre. And the other one is... Uh, Pulp Ventures Limited that owns Adventure Magazine and uh, a couple mystery magazines and one romance magazine. But we have issues of everything from horror fiction to a magazine called Rangeland Romance that is all about how ranch girls get their cowboys. Uh, <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and very popular. They had uh, uh, a drawing of a cowgirl pinup and a limerick your own ranch wear it's it's pretty cool when, when did that run about like uh it was still popular in the 50s okay. uh in in the 40s and stuff it's things like all story romance uh spicy romance um uh, and they're all about you know getting your guy and and that awful woman who's trying to take your guy away from you that's incredible and so, how did you how did you get into this, man? How did you get into the, the preservation of pulp magazines? I mean, how did you find this this niche? Um, I'm trying to think how it happened. <laughs> it's been just going for a while now, huh? I had a website. Uh, it was called Spectrum Home and School Network, and educational site. I've always been interested in the reluctant male reader. Uh, kids like me who, for some reason, just didn't read regularly. I didn't start reading regularly until college when I came across a garage sale and found a hardbound copy of Andromeda Strain, Michael Crichton. And I found out after all those years, it was my eyes. I couldn't read the paperbacks that I bought from Scholastic because the print was too small. I'd oh, fall asleep. Man. So uh, I've been reading voraciously since then. Um, but the reluctant male reader um, uh, was a special interest to me. And um, I decided to do a thing called the Spectrum uh, Children's Book Club that targeted them. And we put up stories by famous uh, uh, kids author, middle grade authors. Uh, Bruce Colville, you guys might have grown up with him. Uh, Alien Ate My Homework. 
Um, oh, okay. My, my teacher's yeah. an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I had that one. Yeah. Yeah. I had my teacher's an alien. Uh, David Lubar, um, uh, Pete Hauptman, who's National Book Award winner. And we had all these short stories that boys could come in and read for free, and we were written up in the Chronicle of, of um, Higher Education. And part of the thing that they found was that uh, schools really just aren't offering the type of stories boys like to read. You know, <laughs> if you go in, the teacher hands you out um, My Side of the Mountain. Do you guys ever get that one? Yeah, yeah, oh, I like, yeah. I, I like yeah. that one. That's a good one. You don't, you don't yeah. like that one? Yeah, 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 I mean, it's okay, but it's not, it's not, it's not Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's more female-oriented. And <clears throat> I don't want to found, sound sexist, but this is a, like a statement of fact. I attended National Reading Association uh, uh, convention, and one of the things there that they were saying, you know, it's, it's you can't teach what you don't like. And 95, 98% of the attendees were female reading teachers. And I attended the thing on new, new books, and the ones that appealed to women, the people were bright on, things that I was interested in that would appeal to boys, they were sort of neutral to. I think that's changing as a newer generation of female teachers get in there because, you know, this generation's grown the up. The gender on, gap, like, like uh, interest in fiction's changed, right? Like, uh, there, there are many people that like, uh, women that like Tolkien and fantasy and, and sci-fi. Um, back when I was a kid, which was ages ago, you know, back in the last century, <laughs> uh, 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 the girls just really didn't read it. But I think that's changing. But at the time I started the book club, that's sort of the way it was. And we got recognition, like I say, from the Chronicle of Higher Education because we were trying to address that fact. But, uh, and we had a charge. Uh, we had, a, had the, expanded it to short stories and you paid from quarter up to a dollar depending on the length of the, the, the short story. After about a year, we discovered people didn't want to pay <laughs> <laughs> to read anything on the internet. <laughs> uh, and in, in searching for stories to do, I was looking into the pulp magazines and thought that, hey, that's a neat resource. Um, uh, that, that it's fiction-based. It's not a comic book. It's really stories. And we can appeal, uh, uh, appeal to the slightly older reader. And I came across this fellow who... Um, ready for the uh, Pulp Preservation Project, a story called Mimic. And it is absolutely the inspiration for the movie. With the uh, cockroaches? Sorvina. Yeah. Sorvina, yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. The, with the cockroaches and stuff? It's, it's a giant insect that when they put the carapace, is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. In front, that looks like a human. But it's, yeah, it goes back to, I don't wow. know, the 40s. Wow. That's cool. But they didn't credit it in the, in the movie? I don't know. I ne never went back to the movie. Interesting. I guess if it's public domain, then they wouldn't necessarily, right? But that, but no, no, this is copyrighted. Yeah, and, and that was movie. Mo that movie was made in the '90s, so it wouldn't have been yeah, be public domain. Years, I guess at that point, anyway. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if um, ev even if we have the rights to a copyrighted magazine, or if we do a public domain magazine. I have to check it author by author because some of the authors have gone back and recopyrighted it under their own name. 
Oh, so, yeah. So you have a double layer. Oh, of, weren't you saying something about, like, Dashiell Hammett had his state had done that or something? Uh, like, he'd done that previously, and then his estate has a lot of his stuff? Y- yeah. Yeah, yeah Dashiell Hammett. Uh, uh, I don't want to name drop, but here are some of the people that uh, started out in the pulps. You might recognize a couple of them. Isaac Asimov. <laughs> yeah, sure. Charles Beaumont. If you ever, ever watched The Twilight Zone, yep, you know who absolutely. Charles Beaumont is. Lee Brackett. Ray Bradbury, Max Brand, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, William S. Burroughs, wow. Raymond Chandler, Agatha Christie, Arthur C. Clarke, Joseph Conrad, Stephen Crane, Lester Dent. Do you guys know who Lester Dent is? I do not. I do not. That's 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 one of the, th- I think, three that you mentioned I didn't know who it was. The creator of uh, The Shadow. Oh, oh cool. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, Philip K. Dick. Sure. Philip Jose Farmer. Sure. C.S. Forrester, F. Scott Fitzgerald. And this is somebody that uh, uh, wrote more than a few stories. Earl Stanley Gardner. Wow. Um, if, if anybody doesn't know, that's uh, Perry Mason. Yep. Dashiell Hammett, Robert Heinlein, uh, Frank Herbert, L. Ron Hubbard, <laughs> Roger <laughs> Kipling, Louis Lemur, and person who died not too long ago, Elmore Leonard. Yeah. Oh, I keep forgetting he's dead. That's and sad. I, and I think big within uh, the gaming world, H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, and, uh, he's, Mc- he's enjoying sort of a renaissance right now. Johnston McCauley. You guys know what he wrote? No. Mm-mm. A little character called Zorro. Ah. Oh, okay. Cool. And so it he, sounds like I would know, even the, the ones whose names I didn't recognize, I probably knew the, the works they wrote on. Yeah, like Richard Matheson. But what's his big thing? I Am Legend. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. also did a lot with the uh, um, Twilight Zone. And uh, I'm trying to think. It was like I think he was involved with Star Trek or something that's very recent. But Well, we appear to be doing okay with our technical difficulties. So um, if you guys want to go ahead and kind of get started, we can like pr- proceed forward in earnest. But... Uh, I mean everything. Everything sounds really good right now. Um, I you know I, I I made some little. I rebooted the computer and I also um, dumped a huge file that I've been sitting on and I, everything seems to be going pretty well right now. So okay, let's so. do it. So you had to take a dump. Is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I had to get some shit out of there. <laughs> anyway, so all right, all right. So pulp pulp stuff. Lay it on me, Keith. What you, what you got, man? Well, it's, it's, it's pulp literature was the popular culture of the first half of the 20th century. Um, everything from uh, Tarzan to Zorro to the Shadow and the Spider uh, to um, uh, Mike Hammer and Sam Spade. They all started out in in the pulps. And it's what people bought these magazines and generally several different magazines every week or every month. And uh, it's popular culture. If you think about it, Charles Dickens was a pulp writer. His stories were serialized in a magazine in uh, over in England and then got re-serialized over here. Sherlock Holmes was serialized, started out as a pulp character. 
So it's a really important part of it. Uh, what my project, the Pulp Preservation Project, wants to do is to save the literature that's in these magazines because the magazines are deteriorating even though they're being collected, put in protective sleeves and put in boxes in dark, cool places. The acid that was in the paper at the time is destroying them even within in the box. So people like Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler. And truthfully, too, if they're not changed in format, they just kept in that magazine, then very few people actually get to enjoy them at this point. They don't get to read them. Yeah. And every time you read it, a little bit more of that magazine dies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so what we do when we get a copy is, uh, and people are going to gasp when they say this. Well, there's probably a lot of collectors that listen to this show. I mean, I'm a collector. I collect things, and so I think we all know, we all know the the pain and joy of being a of a, a being a collector. So 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 go ahead, give it to them easy. What do you got? When I get a copy, I dismantle it. It may be the last copy in the world. I don't know but I dismantle it. We stabilize the cover on acid-free paper so that we can get a decent scan out of it. Uh, in some cases, if it's going to go into print, we actually restore the cover. Uh, and why we take it apart is so that we can get a very good scan of every single page, and then we convert the text, scan the, the text in the images into real text, which are then re-edited. Um, and we only change, uh, make corrections for errors. We never change the content. So we don't correct for political correctness. So, uh, and I imagine there's a few things that are sort of in the blue in those Yeah, things. yeah, I imagine uh, it gets a little dodgy at times. Uh, yeah, especially in the horror magazines. The horror magazines tend to, to uh, make the villains ultimately, they aren't supernatural. They are. Uh, people of other nationalities or races who aren't <sighs> quite all mentally there. Uh, that, Sigh. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed by most of the horror stories, although there's one that I really liked. Mm. The Mole Men Want Your Eyes. The Mole Men Want Your Eyes? Yes. <laughs> the title sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> About a group of people, men that uh, uh, escaped from an insane asylum, uh, hid themselves in a local mine for years, and they become blind and all white-looking. So they kidnap people for their eyes. <laughs> How do they get the eyes in? Uh, surgery. They do surgery on each other? Blind yeah, surgery. yeah. I, 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 I think there's a mad doctor involved in there someplace, too. Oh, man. Uh, uh, well, that does sound pretty good. That does. <laughs> I mean... Well, you know, we, we were discussing Lovecraft just a second ago, and he had some he has some problems with um, the portrayals of different ethnic peoples in his material, and some of, some of it's really ugly. Some of it's really ugly, but the material that doesn't have that stuff in it is still really good. I mean, you could say that the stories that have it in there are themselves good, but they're th those are definitely blemishes on the stories for sure. Yeah, but but he has a legacy beyond his own stories, which is creating a shared universe mm, true true uh so you have to give him credit for that you know um yeah i heard that he recanted all the racist stuff anyway before he died now the other the other person that definitely has some problems is earl stanley gardner uh, i guess uh some of the stuff in the perry mason books were 
we're not politically correct by today's standards. Well, I but mean, crime and punishment is something that's difficult in America still to this very day. Like how that factors in with things like race and class and education and things like that. You know, mental, mental, mental uh, illness or lack thereof. These are these are problems in 2016. I imagine that they were no less acute back then. Yeah. But with our project, we don't care about that. We want to show people the collective uh, scholars and ordinary readers alike give them access to the collective culture of the time and, and see what people were thinking what were people reading um, literary literary anthropology almost uh, and you can't go around changing things if you want people to see what it was really like that is true this is yeah. true yeah I think that's worthwhile that's worthwhile from a historical standpoint and from a literary standpoint so um Right now, you're doing a Kickstarter, right? Yeah. You're in the midst of a Kickstarter, so by the time that you hear this, on August 3rd, this Kickstarter will still be in effect. Yep. We'll have about 10, 12 days left. Okay. And um, What's what- What's the purpose of the Kickstarter? Yeah. Tell us about the Kickstarter and how it works and what it is you're trying to do. And let's hope- Maybe maybe there'll be some listeners who will go onto this Kickstarter and pledge. Or even if they can't pledge, tell somebody else about it. The Kickstarter, you, when you go to Kickstarter, search for Pulp Preservation Project. We're under the Publishing tab. And we're looking for about $15,000. And all this is going to do is to get us um, the database that's going to drive this site built. Uh, there's a link to the demo and to the Kickstarter on ipulpfiction.com. Up in the masthead, we have uh, two big buttons, say View Demo, View Kickstarter. So you can go in and see how the thing's actually going to work. That that demo site's uh, smoke and mirrors, all hardwired code. The whole thing will be driven by um, a, a database. So if you see an author that you liked on a story, you click the author, the database will bring up every story that that author wrote that's in the system. So, so if I'm interested, say, in reading, like, Isaac Asimov's old, like, stories in, in the pulp magazines, I can click his name and get all his stories. The all, all the stories that we have. Uh, we have a problem possibly with uh, uh, copyrights from famous authors like that. Uh, we will err on the side of uh, scanning them and digitizing them. But we'll have the ability, once we get the site engineered, to turn the stories on and off individually. And so we can get him into the system and have his stories turned off until we come to an arrangement with the estate. Uh, on the public domain side, we'll make the same error. And if an estate comes in and says, I'm sorry, this, this person has recopyrighted and we didn't know it in good faith, we will go in and turn it off and offer them all the edited manuscripts that we did of uh, that author's stories. Oh, wow. um, so we want to do a service um, uh, to the authors, most of these people. Um, I read a list earlier. Well, I don't know if it made the broadcast or not of uh, yeah. people that were in it. <laughs> well, we'll see. One, 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 one does wonder. <laughs> uh, but the, the famous people are just a smattering of the authors that wrote for these. And most of the things that we will publish haven't been in print since they originally appeared in the magazine. Because you have a list of something like two or three dozen publications right I, yeah I, you I mean you, you it, it, it's an extensive catalog am I correct uh, yes and we have the rights to it 
and the Kickstarter, I'll say again, is just to get the engineering done. It's going to cost us between two and four hundred dollars per issue of a magazine oh. to get it digitized. Uh, some of the magazines sell for a couple hundred dollars if we want to, you know, have to buy a copy of the rarer ones. Um, but then we have the scanning to do. Yeah. We have uh, uh, have to uh, retouch the interior art. We have to re-edit and typeset all of the type, and then we have to somebody has to put it into the system. So, getting the thing engineered is just the first part of it. Uh, after that, uh, uh, we're going to try to get um, humanities grants to work with libraries to digitize their collections. Nice. I'm talking to a couple of libraries now. We don't know what that's going to be like. Um, the program we're going to apply for a grant under doesn't uh, come around again until next summer. But uh, the and National Endowment for Humanities has pointed me to a particular grant that they think uh, the project would be suitable for. So it's this an ambitious program. It would definitely fill the rest of my life doing it. Wow. Well, that, that is ambitious. Um, you, in, speaking of seeing the things that you do, you're, you're a writer yourself. Yes. You're not? Yeah. You write some fiction. Uh, YA science fiction. You want, tell us about that. Uh, I've got two series. Uh, one is called From the Shadows. Uh, it's for, I call it the tween group. Uh, it bridges the gap from middle grade to young adults. Uh, readers from 12 to 15 are, are the target area. That started out as a web serial on uh, the, uh, the Spectrum Home and School magazine oh, and cool. the Children's nice. Book Club. And we had more than 20,000 readers on it. And the premise of that, um, uh, I just did a, a presentation on world building. And this falls into a type of world building that's called an altered world. At least that's what I call it. It's a real world in your future with one change or two changes. You think of sliders. Okay. It goes through multiple universes, and it's always the same sort of right, but there's just been one thing that's been changed. That's a changed world versus Tolkien or George R. R. Martin, who are created worlds. But um, uh, from the shadows, an altered world, and the premise is, and this, remember, this is for young readers, the premise is a, a child prodigy has invented a computer with an AI core at the center that won't work if you don't say please and thank you, if you aren't civil to it. And, and we, it takes place in a time where um, our misconceptions of what society in the 50s was like has more or less become realized because the, the computers and their usage, and he gives them away to schools, has sort of instilled a new sense of civility in it. Um, so we have uh, uh, two teenagers, uh, Rosa and Cameron, that are best friends, never met each other because one lives in Wisconsin, one lives in New Mexico, and they become involved in a virtual academy um, that's going to take them on, on a wide journey, uh, not only through their world, but eventually we're going to go through time. Okay. Uh, 
and they it, it, it's a mystery there's a lot of science in it there's actually puzzles in it uh, uh, the one character is fond of anagrams so if you want to get onto her website you have to solve the anagram <laughs> on our website we actually have the anagrams and you can move the tiles around and try to solve them um, nice so we had like say 20,000 people that read that we got lots of comments from parents that read it with their kids and uh, uh, that's one of them are those websites still live uh, no because it's now available in paperback on Amazon Barnes and Noble and Powell's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> or or as a as an ebook so we've actually uh, published it it's been I had to revise it um, uh, a couple times because part of it takes place on Mars and those darn ah. those darn rovers <laughs> keep changing what's on Mars. <laughs> That's the nice thing about today's publishing. You can go back in, make the little bit of changes, uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and it's corrected. It's up to date. Uh, so uh, had a lot of fun with that and a lot of good reactions. And the second series is called New World Papers. That is, uh, sorry about that. If I my, made a my nice. fault. If um, uh, it, it's a young adult for 16 and older, young adult, new adult, because there's some SEX in it a little bit, nothing graphic, just a, just a, just wow. a, a relationship, and it takes place in a war uh, world that is not dystopian; it's utopian. Mm -hmm. They don't have a concept of uh, war or crime or murder uh, or or love even a romantic love um, and it's about a boy with an eidetic memory who can also draw really well and he gets bought by a subversive group that thinks there's a hidden secret about the origins of New World and he goes on this giant adventure in the first two books that take him from the surface to below the surface and to the hardest part of the world well interesting yeah that sounds fun. It is. How how long did it take you to write all those? How long have you been working on this? Um, it takes me a long time to think about them. Okay. Okay. Uh, but when I when I actually get writing, I can uh, write the whole novel in about three or four months. Um, that is awesome. Um, I have a very good editor, um, so we have the process that goes. Uh, as I'm writing them, each chapter is edited, so I have an edited version by the time I get to the second uh, draft. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's, we've got a good flow. Uh, it's, it's been about, I think, four years since the first New World came out, and we just came out with the, uh, the second volume uh, this spring. Wonderful. And those are available online, same places? Same places. Uh, iPulpFiction.com. You can learn about everything we have. Wonderful. Wonderful. Good. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like being like a small business owner, being out there doing this, doing the the publishing thing, doing the... Because, I mean, that's how we met you. We met yeah. you at work the table, man. I mean, how did that go for you? For yeah. how, how, was, how did Leprechaun treat you? Because it treated us like shit. Actually, I wouldn't want to talk about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you write a book and it gets published, whether it's self-published or you're lucky enough to get a big name publisher to publish it your work just begins writing the books the easy part 
Okay. Marketing is hard. How do you get discovered? Unless uh, the publishing house is going to give you a big marketing program, put kiosks in the in the uh, stores, you still have the same problems uh, of discoverability. Uh, for instance, we have uh, e-books by three very well-known authors. J.A. Jance, who's New York Times best-selling mystery writer. We got a collection of very short stories. We have a collection of short stories by uh, Ben Bova, who's like a six-time uh, Nebula or Hugo Award winner. And we have uh, short stories by Pete Hotman, National Book Award winner. For every one book that we sell of Hotman or, or Ben Bova, who are big names within their categories, we sell probably 100 or 200 J.A. Jances. And it's because she's being looked for more actively on the sites. And if you're K.B. Shaw, one of a million different books that have been published on Amazon, it's hard to dis get discovered. Uh, it's hard to get reviewed. The biggest thing that a real public publisher can do for uh, a new writer is to get it reviewed by places that count. But otherwise, it's a it's a struggle. Yeah, and wh so what do you do? What because because you're in the publishing game. What do you do for your stuff? What do you do for your clients? I think that we have what's going on in the gaming world right now is that there's a, a lot of people who are self-publishing. People are using Kickstarter to like generate the capital. They've got a story they want to tell. Or they've got a rule set they want to present. And I think now more than ever, we're finding sort of like third rail games or indie developers so it's a, it's a renaissance this type of stuff i said i think there's probably a lot of people who'd be very interested in hearing kind of like any any kind of practical stuff you could tell us about kickstarter about publishing about anything yeah it's it's about having a network it's about getting out there and meeting guys like you so you can get on on a podcast um it's about meeting doing presentations uh like i just did one for a uh, Professional Writers Association this last week uh, and getting them to know you and it's about getting out there personally but we have a Facebook presence we've got a website presence and we have an Instagram presence uh, which I was just turned on to by my daughter I said uh, <laughs> if you can get me set up uh, I'll learn it and she got us set up and uh, we went to zero to close to 800 followers in like three days oh wow um, wow yeah we, that's really good i uh, fmrpg is pulling like a thousand and we have been doing it for a year yeah but uh, we have uh, all of this pulp art we can use we have access to so there's a lot of people that are interested in that oh wow uh, uh, and, and right and eventually i'll turn that over and work it on for my books also um uh, it's hard to tell what your conversion rate is if you're getting anybody out of that. Yeah, that's the thing is measuring conversions is very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like a, it's like a pyramid. You know, it's like you, you're you're blasting this stuff all the time, and you know that people are seeing it, but then every level of conversion after that, you're just winnowing it down so that really, like, if you say have a thousand followers on on Instagram, just for say, because that's what we have, you have maybe two or three dozen people who are like serious 
they're like seriously <coughs> about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then in there, there's just all shades of gray. You know? Yeah. And I don't know what it's like in the gaming world, but my experience in the book world is that the readers are sort of solitary and they don't necessarily just go out and tell people that, uh, that yeah. you know, uh, here's something good unless uh, uh, it's, I guess it's the same thing. Of what, how do you get something to go viral? Yeah. If you hit that one little spark, you know, then everything's made. And, and you've been pretty close though, right? I mean, I, I remember you telling me a story about, uh, about almost uh, getting an HBO series. Oh, yeah, that that was a result of my uh, connection with um, uh, the uh, pulp guy that owns the pulp magazines. Uh, he was also had formed a production company with a fellow out in uh, a producer out in L.A. who was a a producer on the Godfather movies, uh, Butterfly Effect. Um, I can't think of some of the other things, but he was also a uh, worked for HBO as a development person. And they formed a little production company and went to HBO with the idea of doing uh, Black Mask Theater. Uh, Black Mask Magazine, like I, I mentioned before, it was the granddaddy of mystery magazines. People like uh, Shane Black, the Coen brothers, um, Quentin Tarantino, they all are influenced by the stuff that happened in here. And um, as story as far as I know it, because the, the, the fellow that owned the magazines kept me, liked me, so he kept me in the loop on the emails as they were talking about this. Um, they, they presented it to HBO. HBO said, well, let us think about it. Then they came back to him and said, we would like to look at, uh, and the idea was an anthology series with every episode could be a different detective, a different story from a magazine. Okay. So HBO uh, came back and they were actively looking for a detective series at the time and said, we'd like the idea, but we don't want it to be anthology. We want it to be a single detective and preferably a Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler character. And this is, this is very surprising and frustrating to hear from from HBO that you always expect to be so like out there on the on the the bleeding edge of everything you know yeah. and, and to hear them to, to hear this story that where they're making such a conservative move well it, they've got a lot of money at risk <laughs> yeah. yeah you know but 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 they went on to make true detective but that's part of the story I oh think. okay okay go sorry go ahead you just blew my ending because right. <laughs> remember they were actively looking for a detective <laughs> title at the time uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Don't edit it out. So, uh, it's it's the it's, natural it's, part. It's of all about adapt. All about adaptation. Um, but they, if you know them, they sort of like uh, not episodic stories, but they like um, what do you call it? Not a narrative, a through story. Okay. So that like the whole series has. A story through it, or at least a season has a story through it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Season one continuity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, episodic television is for broadcast. Okay, you get Bones. Right, right. Okay, HBO, you get True Detective. Yeah. Uh, or you get Game of Thrones. Um, Sopranos or. Yeah, 
it, anything like that because they, they like the through story. Um, but they, they went back and said, uh, we, we'd like you to come up with that and we want to see a, a, a pilot script. So the, if you get that, come back to us. And they went round and round uh, the talking about who can we get to write the, write the pilot and uh, talking about different famous people and nothing happened. And I had written um, a pilot for a series based on From the Shadows that was requested by a, um, a production company out in LA. And it didn't get greenlit, but you know, I got requested and got good feedback. So I told them, look, I wrote this pilot. I want to send it to you guys. If you like it, I'd like a shot of writing your pilot. You know, I'm a nobody. I'm not going to charge you anything up front. All these other people would have cost money right, right. up front. So I sent them the script. They liked it. And uh, uh, I said, I'll, 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 I'll write the pilot, but I'm not going to show you anything until it's done. And of the characters that were available, uh, I said, I don't like Raymond Chandler. I'm sorry. I just don't like uh, uh, his character. I can't remember the guy's Philip name. Marlo. Philip Marlowe. Philip yeah. Marlowe. I just never got into him. Sam Spade has too much Bogart baggage with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. It'd, be, it'd be hard to do that right away. But there was another character that Dashiell Hammett wrote before Sam Spade called The Continental Op. Okay. Okay. He was very famous in Black Max magazine, uh, as famous or more famous than Sam Spade would come to be in his time. First time I heard of him, you know, no baggage there. Nobody's got preconceptions there. In 40-some stories and novels that Hammett wrote using the Continental Op, who is the writer of his own stories. He's the author of his own stories. He never mentions his real name. Nobody in the, any of the stories calls him by his real name. <laughs> we know that he's uh, slightly overweight, middle-aged, balding, and he's not a fighter. If somebody starts to beat up on him, he curls up into a ball and just lay there and take the punches. <laughs> he's more of a manipulator. Okay, okay. These stories are just bare-boned action. Okay. I went to the hotel, opened up the closet door, four bodies fell out in a row, you know, and it's just go boom, 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 and you, you get through the, the mystery, okay, uh-huh. of him solving it. And he works for the Continental Detective Agency, so everybody refers to him, oh, you're the guy from uh, Continental, aren't you? Or you're the Continental Op, which is, becomes the name of the series. So I decided to go with him because there's no backstory there. Sure, yeah. I get to create the character. And what's the hook? Why doesn't he use his name? Who is he? Why is he writing this stuff? So I have this uh, whole backstory that would go over a uh, three-season arc um, because he goes into a very dark place and and finds redemption at the end. And uh, uh, everybody liked it. I had to do some rewrites to put in a couple nude scenes for HBO. Put them in. It was very easy. Just say they're nude. <laughs> <laughs> or she takes her clothes off. It's, it's, it's very easy to, to do that. And we turned it in. I set the story of the pilot 
taking place at the same time as the Maltese Falcons going on. They both take place in San Francisco. So Sam Spade is a background character. And he and the op served in World War I together. And so there's an underlying mystery with them during World War I and the op's past on why he's not using his, his name and what he has to go through to come it, to peace, peace with himself. So we send it in, and um, uh, from what I understand, uh, they liked it, but there was nobody attached. And by attached, I mean uh, they didn't have a director, they didn't have an actor. I had written it with um, um, Paul Giamatti in mind for the, for the Continental Op. Uh, John Hamm is Sam Spade, um, and and some other people just as an idea. You're not supposed to cast, but to give them an idea of type of people. And um, they ended up passing. Uh, they still had a period piece on at the time, which was uh, Boardwalk Empire. And they thought they wanted to go with something uh, edgier, and maybe more modern. So they ended up going with True Detective. As it turns out, we had a nice three-season story arc that I think they should have gone with. Because <laughs> uh, they had a nice one-season arc on uh, True Detective. Uh, yeah. They had one season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you know, came that close and, and didn't make it. <sighs> that's and, a real L.A. story right there. That's, that's, that's how it goes sometimes, and, huh? And, and uh, underlined some, through some stuff that I won't go into now, uh, I found out that there was some... Um, non-clarity, we'll call it, with the actual rights for the individual stories. Uh, the fellow that owned the magazines had a agreement with the Hammett estate to be able to develop movie or television properties. But there was nothing specific for the stories with this character, and uh, they could not definitely pin down the rights, I guess. So, uh. But... I, I'm not privy to that whole thing, but I just know it's, it's a, a good script. Um, and I think I had it up on the web someplace at one time. Yeah. But What can you do? That's yeah. Well, that's a lot closer than a lot of people get, man. Yeah. It's a lot closer than a lot of people get. Sounds like you're living the dream. I mean, you've done all, you've done all this stuff. You know, you've written a bunch of books. You've published a bunch of other people's books. You've come like that close to the, to the I, mean, I mean, your script was in the boardroom meetings, right? Yeah, like, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty fucking good. You know, it's some some people say you don't measure success by money, but right now the success is less important to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have some money every every now and again, right? Yeah, you, you want to convert once at least, you know. Uh, <laughs> even if <sighs> I even if I bat. 125 you know you want to have one home run in there with that with that um with that hollywood stuff though all you need is once you know you do it one time and you're pretty much like okay you know cash my checks and i'm done well hell man you know it's been real fun having you on sorry about all the technical difficulties it's not usually like that usually it's really smooth this has been kind of some bullshitty stuff i'm real sorry i'm sorry man but i'm glad we at least got to get it done and it started working eventually yeah <laughs> yeah thank god well, well, thank you for having me. Indeed, man. Hey, so are we going to see you at any more cons or what? <laughs> you going to do any more cons? 
Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, yeah, that I, sounds I, like a no to me. Yeah. I, 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 he said, "Don't know." Yeah, but he I'm, really meant no. Oh, no, I'm not <laughs> just, doing anymore. Just, just uh, too much. You have to manage inventory. Uh-huh. Um, if you take the books, how much is too much? How much is too little? Sure. Uh, at Leprechaun, we actually sold out of a couple titles. Nice. So that that was nice, but uh, uh, you know, none of that. Do you make money? You don't cover the the booth generally unless you're a big publisher uh so you do it for marketing purpose and for visibility um that's what i figured i mean that's why we were going down there anyway was for visibility and like get our name out there and like you know talk to people and then people don't want to talk to us no <laughs> but next scare people next year they will be revealing secrets from area 51 and i don't know if you noticed that and and, and for visibility they all have to put on their glasses to see you know, uh, but I was still one of the younger people. And, you know. <laughs> you were. I think that everybody that was at Leprechaun 42 was also at Leprechaun 1. You know, <laughs> they, they were getting, they had, it was, they had booked it at a hotel, which then had subsequently been sold and turned into a nursing home. And I think that everybody was then going to like move in. You know, was, was that being converted to a nursing? Yeah. yeah, that's why there was nobody in the hotel because they were turning into a senior senior living facility. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, dude. It was a, the, the, they had covered up the hotel sign with this big blanket that said like "Shady Acres Senior <laughs> Living" or something, and I was like, that's I, why mean, I couldn't find it at first. I was looking at GPS. Yeah. I'm like, I don't see a hotel out here. What's yeah. going on? It yeah. was like The Shining, like walking around, and then everything was very quiet, and there was no one around, and you were just. Waiting for some twins to come out and be like, "Come play with us," you know. I was like, "Oh God!" Not the change in the subject, but did you guys watch Stranger Things? Oh, okay. I'm like four episodes into Stranger Things. It's blowing my mind. Let me tell you how it ends. Don't please don't. It's so <laughs> fucking good. Have you seen See, it? The, the clown down in the sewer. You know. The cl- the, <laughs> oh no, that's that's something else. <laughs> Dude, it's but it has all that in it. But I mean, they they out they out King King. It's clearly a love letter to Stephen King on many levels, and 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 uh, Spielberg, and yeah, yeah, for sure, for to the entire 1980s experience. I mean, oh man, God, that is a beautiful show. It is, like, I'm only like I can say I'm only four episodes in, but it's 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 pretty close to perfect. But apparently, it, the 80s is now the new nostalgia. It is decade because I, I turned on my daughter to uh, Ready Player One, and I'm uh, about a third of the way into that. And if you haven't read it. And you're back into uh, uh, the 80s and video games and Dungeons and Dragons. It's about, uh, I think it takes place in like 2050 or something like that. And this very famous game designer dies who's invented a thing called the Oasis. The, the world is falling apart around it. And people all over the world go into this Oasis, which is virtual reality. And you have haptic gloves and stuff. And... You can practically live there. The public schools have gone to Oasis. So you go to these virtual schools. And this fellow dies who grew up in the 80s and this created the Oasis and all these big games. And he leaves a video will that there's one last game. You find the three keys and enter the three gates. And if you solve the big game, you get all of his wealth. You get essentially to inherit the oasis and it's a it's about a, a young man who's involved in the game he's a gunter looking for the clues 
and dealing with the corporate people that are also trying to find the clues so that they can own the own the oasis and monetize it <laughs> oh okay and it's just all the 80s references all the movies uh, um uh, it, it's just really remarkable i i've heard of it a friend of mine was always trying to tell me to she was always pushing it into my hands i haven't read it yet i obviously need to isn't spielberg doing the movie i heard spielberg was yeah, doing spielberg's the movie. doing the movie yeah which i guess he took out the references to his own movies because there's so many other stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like uh, uh, I don't know if they'll get uh, the actor to come back in, but uh, Max Headroom is his little no AI, AI helper that he really. Has, uh, yeah. Wow, I love yeah. Max Headroom. Yeah. And that guy's still alive. He's a Canadian yeah. dude. Yeah. Uh, so he I, was I, just uh, in something. I hope they bring him. Was he? Yeah, he was just in something. Playing yeah. bad guys mostly now. Yeah, he has that look. Uh, Orphan Black, he was... That's uh, who, yeah. yeah, he's in Orphan Black, which shoots in Canada. Yeah. Any whoosies. Well, hey, Keith, it's always a blast to see you, man. It's It's been a real pleasure. Stay in touch, okay? Thank you for having me. Do I have to go through the search again going out? <laughs> no, no. Just make sure you don't take any of these sweet-ass role-playing books with you, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Good night. Listening to another episode of Full Metal RPG. We'd like to thank Legion for our theme music, Abyssal Plains. We'd like to thank our friends Blode for all of our bumper music, Hardcore and Brutal. Speaking of Hardcore and Brutal, we'd like to thank Josh Connolly at Orchstain on Instagram for our new logo art. You can feel free to check out our webpage, FullMetalRPG.com. We got all kinds of content going on there, as well as our web store where you can buy our Blacksmith's Tomes t-shirt. Reach out to us anytime, fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great night.